This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Matt, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I remember when we were in the same ward back in Charleston, and I love your wife. She's so freaking awesome. When you emailed me or you reached out to me, I and you told me your story, I didn't know any of that. And so it's just interesting to see how everyone has a story, but I I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Your story is awesome. And yeah, great to have you. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> Let's go ahead and just jump in. I'd love to hear about how you grew up and your first interaction with the church. Yeah, I'm from Kentucky. I'm born and raised in Kentucky. I'm proud to be from Kentucky. I love Kentucky. I was raised a member of the Presbyterian Church. And then in high school, I started attending an evangelical church in Louisville um, on Wednesday nights. And my mom is a person that probably had, or is the person that probably had the greatest religious influence on me. She's very dedicated. Every Wednesday night, she go work at church. I don't know exactly what she's doing. It was paperwork. It, to me, it just all looked boring because she'd bring it home sometimes. But I knew that she was there. I knew that God mattered to her. I knew that she saw importance in organized religion. From her, I got a foundation. And we always, almost always, went to church. And when I was a uh, a senior in high school, two important things happened to me. Actually, maybe three. One is I almost died in a whitewater canoeing accident, which was a great thing that I got close to death but didn't die because it, it caused me to start thinking more long-term. And I started asking deep questions. The questions that we should all be asking, why am I here? Where am I going? What's my purpose on the earth? What happens when I die? And so during that time, I took a humanities class at uh, my high school, which was DuPont Manual High School. A lady named uh, Miss Van Howe taught it. For that class, she took us, we went on field trips. Like we get on a bus, we go to a Buddhist temple. The next week we go, we studied Baha'i. We even studied Scientology, Islam. But we went and like field tripped all over the city of Louisville and looked at different religions. And during that part of the class, and she never pushed like, this is what you should believe. It was just, here's an introduction. I'm going to make you more cultured. I'm going to expose you to different religions. I really enjoyed that. I liked looking outside of my bubble of Christianity. Like, for example, like seeing how dedicated um, Muslims were to prayer. I'm like, whoa, they got me beat. These dudes, these ladies, they're better. They are dedicated. I got to step up my game. And so a lot of good came from that. And during that time, also, I became really, really good friends with the only Latter-day Saint that I knew named uh, Paul. He would talk to me. We'd go out. We'd go to parties. I liked girls. He liked girls. We, we got along. We were a good team. But he, he was different. And uh, he didn't party. He didn't sleep around. And I noticed he was happy. So that kind of laid the groundwork for everything. He ended up going on a mission. And uh, he gave me a copy of the Book of Mormon. And I didn't want anything to do with it. I knew he wanted to convert me. I mean, that's what they do, right? Like missionaries just go out and convert people. But, but really what I know now is he wanted me to find out for myself. But I didn't read it. I put it on a shelf. 
Um, and he'd write me from his mission, be like, hey, man, did you check out the Book of Mormon? Did you read it? And I just, I'm like, no, man, I'm not, I'm not signing up for your timeshare. Like, I don't want to be sold anything. I'm good. Especially, and I think you know this, Ashley, because we were just talking a second ago. You're on social media. You see negative comments. I don't know of a religion that is more disliked and less respected than ours. Yeah. And you handle those comments really well, by the way. Like, Thank you. Me, not so much. But um, no, I can take it. It's not cool to be Mormon or a Latter-day Saint. Mm -hmm. So out of all the religions that I had studied, I left two of them alone because they were both, in my mind, so weird and so dumb that it really wasn't worth looking into because I probably wasn't going to find anything of value in those two religions. And I'll just say one of those was our faith. But I did, um, I did eventually decide to check it out. I asked a friend of mine, actually it was a girl that I was dating, if I could come to church with her. And she was a Latter-day Saint, and like him, she was different. Like, she didn't sleep around. I dated a lot of girls, but she was a level above all of them in the respect for herself and the way she lived her life. So I went to church. I met the missionaries on a Sunday, and I sat down. Back then, church was three hours. Um, and I sat down in priesthood and I started talking to actually one of the missionaries started talking to me and I got a feeling that I just known this dude forever. His name was Elder Fago, Travis Fago. It was weird. I was comfortable talking to him. He knew my buddy was on a mission. It's like your buddy Paul's on a mission. I think we should meet up and I'll show you. I'll teach you what he's teaching people in Micronesia, Guam. That's where Paul was. Wow. So I was like, all right, when you want to do it? He's like, how about tomorrow? And then so I met with him tomorrow. Or not tomorrow, Monday, see? Brain injury, messed up. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so I met with him and other missionaries there. They asked me to pray about the Book of Mormon. They asked me to pray about Joseph Smith, asked if it was true. And they asked me to do it in front of them. And I was really uncomfortable. I didn't like praying out loud. And I got, like, they said, we'll let you be the first one to speak. And they tried to explain the Holy Ghost. And I didn't feel, I felt like nothing, except I was just uncomfortable. And I told him, I'm sorry, it didn't work. I didn't, I didn't see anything. I didn't feel anything. I think it's great what you guys are doing as missionaries. I think it's very selfless. Good luck, but I'm out. And so I left and I was throwing a party, like one of the wild kind. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, I was throwing a party and I was driving there. And then I just started thinking about everything that they had taught. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'd never want to be a Mormon, but I would like to know if Joseph Smith was a prophet. Like, I, I think that's important to know. If there was actually a prophet since, you know, in the last 2000 years since Christ was here. And so I began to consider that. And I, then I began to consider, would I actually do anything about it? Like, okay, so if I did get this knowledge, why did... What difference does it make? Why would I need to know that? And I came to the conclusion all in this car ride that I'm like, I think I would have to do something, but I'd probably have to join. And then I had an experience that's probably nothing unusual for most of the people on your podcast that was raised in the church, but I felt the Holy Spirit. And I knew like, oh man, like this is, this is actually legit. Crap. Now I'm supposed to get baptized. And I hear a lot of people talk about like confirmation bias that like mine's the opposite. I didn't want to be a part of this faith. 
Like there's there's no advantages. I knew it was going to cost me more money tightening. I was going to lose friends. It was going to upset some family. The only advantage like that I got is I got more truth. But if there was an easier way to get truth where I didn't have to switch religions, I would have chosen that path. Mm -hmm. So anyways, got baptized, went on a mission the next year. Went Half my mission was in Albuquerque and the other half was in the Navajo Nation. And then, so I've been a member a long time. It'll be 25 years this August. Awesome. So that's how I got here. Yes. But it's not, it's not always been easy, Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have the spiritual experience that leads you to get baptized and then you go on a mission, which is like a lot of dedication for somebody that just recently got baptized. And then what happened after that? Like you get home from your mission. Are you just like, you know, church is true. Things are good. What happened after that? Well, I think like most people, I had some trials. I got married in the temple. I got divorced a short time later. And what uh, was that like for your, for your faith? You know, divorce in the church can be challenging. It's one of those things that you didn't picture that was going to happen. And what did that do to your faith? It didn't shake my faith in the church as much as it shook my faith in myself because I initiated that marriage. I was familiar with my weaknesses. I, I knew my flaws and I had been in relationships before and obviously all of them had failed because I wasn't married. Like I take responsibility for the divorce. Like I didn't cheat or I wasn't physically abusive or anything like that, but I was still dumb. You know, one of my biggest flaws is not being able to control my tongue, saying mean things, not being patient. And then it was risky. Like she was really young. I thought like, I'm a member of the church now. I've got the gift of the Holy Ghost. Like this will work out and we're going to be happy. She'll be happy that she married me and she wasn't. And, you know, ultimately she ended up leaving. That was tough. Um, I maintained activity in the church. I didn't feel great about myself. Mm -hmm. So it's embarrassing. Well, this podcast is full of stories that are just as real as they get. So no embarrassment needed here because, you know, we've heard, we've heard a lot. Tell me like, you know, after she left, what that was like living your life, like going back to regular life and how long until, until you found your current wife, what was that time like? Um, it was a couple of years. So, you know, I was faced with a tough decision. There's not a lot of LDS girls in Kentucky and there's a lot of great people, but the dating life in Kentucky is um, usually it's just drinking and you go to bars. That's how you meet people. Mm-hmm. I know you know this because you've talked a lot about addiction, how you've overcome it. I have an addictive personality. One of the many good things that came from joining the church is that we're not supposed to drink alcohol. I do believe there's plenty of people out there that can drink in moderation, but I also believe I wasn't going to be and wasn't one of those people. So mm-hmm. there wasn't much dating. I lived in the same house. I stayed there for two years and then I eventually moved back out to Utah. Yeah, it was lonely. Like I think a lot of people seems really common to hear people talk about depression and mental illness. Like it was depressing. Like it was a hard two years, uh, really hard. But then I came back out to Utah. I met my wife and I think we got married in 2011 and testimony wise, nothing really changed until maybe 2017 i always stayed active i guess full disclosure i've been active ever since i joined the church Mm -hmm. but there's some fundamental shift which is 
in the way that I view prophets, in the way that my expectations for church leaders, and really coming to grips with some painful things in church history. Mm-hmm. And it, for whatever reason, like everything kind of compounded at the same time. I still very much believe in the church. I consider myself, well, I am active, but I, I believe in all of the truth claims. Mm-hmm. But my testimony shifted, and I'll, I'll give you like a, a real quick rundown of how it happened. When I say shifted, I mean, in reality, I just got a better understanding of what prophets are. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me this when I joined the church. Nobody said, Matt, prophets are perfect. Nobody said that. But somehow, between 1999 and 2017 and 18, and 20 years, I had adopted this incorrect belief that prophets were essentially puppets. This is not scriptural. I could say it's culture. I don't know who taught it to me, but this is sort of where I was at. Basically, the prophet wakes up. He almost has like a to-do list from God in the morning. You're going to have a meeting today, and then you're going to speak tomorrow or tonight, and this is what you need to say. This is what you need to not say because they're so close to God, they're never going to make a mistake. I was watching uh, something on YouTube, and one of the apostles was talking about Utah's alcohol rule. And for those of you who don't know, like Utah's beer used to have less alcohol than any other mm-hmm. state except Does for... Not think, anymore? Does that have Yeah, like, it's, it's done now. Wow. Yeah. So my your non-member friends who like to drink, you can tell them we got <laughs> normal beer now. Can I, I got to say something. I was going to yeah. say this earlier, but I'm saying it. When you talked about being in the church and not drinking alcohol, it is such a testimony builder for me that like we are one of few religions who don't drink alcohol. And in my mind, alcohol is such a poison. I know there are people that can drink responsibly, but every experience with alcohol in my life, it doesn't, it is not long-term happiness in any sense of the word from my own personal experience with alcohol and from what I've seen in others' lives. And it is just so testimony building for me that we do not drink alcohol. And it's great for people in sobriety. Like we have this whole community of sober people. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. that was a side note, but. No, that's important. And we still have fun. Like Yes, we do. I do enough dumb things on my own. I don't need alcohol to help. And right. when I did drink, I did stupid things mm-hmm. consistently. So Utah, their alcohol law, the, the yeah. something. So yeah, like this apostle talk about like, I, I realized in the church was somewhat involved with that. And they were interviewing and he was talking about, well, we want to try to prevent DUIs. And I'm like, what? I'm like, they can just drink twice as much beer and still get the same buzz. I'm like, why are we kind of babysitting? People in Utah, it's embarrassing because I got friends come visit and they're always making jokes about how lame our alcohol was. So I'm like, that is weird. I just, I'm like, that does not make sense. So then the the church gets involved in medical marijuana. And in the beginning, and this didn't come from President Nelson, but the person who was working on behalf of the church through this whole issue, basically he said, we will never support this until the FDA approves marijuana. That's not going to happen. Big Pharma can't make money off marijuana. So whether it works or not, that's not going to happen. I thought, why are we, why are we getting involved in this stuff? Like what does this have to do with Jesus or the restoration of the gospel or the priesthood? And so I really, my eyes got open to the politics and then I learned, all right, church has a lobbyist here. So when I realized then I'm like, this is going to be a mess. 
Like there's going to be so much bickering and people, this is going to be an issue for me because in my mind, just stay out. Like let the government run its thing. Let's focus on heaven. And uh, after years of hearing my less active friends and my non-member friends say, your church is too involved in politics and you too. I, I, I agree, like straight up. And I still agree. So nothing's changed there. But I began to get frustrated. And, and this is where, when I, when I got into danger, uh, a danger area, is that during these times, I wasn't just feeling um, sadness or disappointment. I was becoming angry. So I was different. Like I knew a lot of church history stuff. But I thought, well, I'm just going to look up some more. One of the things that I really struggled with was like the ban on the priesthood. I knew about on my mission, I would literally teach people that, well, in the Old Testament, the um, Levites were the only group that had the priesthood. And then in the New Testament, the gospel um, didn't go until the Gentiles right away. So that's just, that's, I don't understand it, but it parallels what happened in the Bible. But that's actually not true. Like Elijah Abel, was a black Latter-day Saint who was ordained a 70. So this is a different story. Black people were allowed to have the priesthood, and then all of a sudden, no, they couldn't, and then they can again. So I'm like, hold on, that's different than I understood it, because I didn't know about Elijah Abel when I joined the church. And so I started digging into the history. I'm like, where did this revelation come from? Who said, and it happened during the time of Brigham Young, who said black people can't have the priesthood anymore? And if it was God sure like to know why. So I dig and I dig and I dig and I come across, I'm going through uh, every historical quote from Brigham Young up until uh, the priesthood ban was lifted in 1978. And every apostle, everything that every apostle, every general authority said, I'm like, okay. So I'm at a point now where I'm like, absolutely, 100%, that was a mistake. And I, and I still have a lot of friends, particularly the older generation who think, well, maybe it was supposed to happen but we just don't understand. And it's not because black people are worse than white people. It's because they just try to justify it. Like, well, we weren't ready or something like that. I don't know. I'm like, nope, I don't buy into any of that. Like, it bothers me. It's embarrassing and it's hurtful. And it wasn't just a ban. It was all the things that went along with the, the comments about no interracial marriage. And I'm like, wow. So for the first time in almost 20 years of joining the church, I am learning new things about church history. I knew about polygamy. I knew that Joseph Smith had been married to a 14-year-old girl. I also knew that it was her father that instigated, that they didn't have any kids. There's no proof. So, I mean, everything in church history I had kind of looked at and come to some sort of conclusion. But this was like something I'm looking at the first time. I'm like, wrong, totally wrong, totally unacceptable for me. What happens is, and I think people would call that a faith crisis. I don't know that I was ever in a crisis. I was upset. I was disappointed. But the danger came when I let anger settle in. So I feel like to this day, I'm good to be sad. Like, it's good. Like, that's fine. Fine to be disappointed. Maybe even embarrassed. But I can't be angry. Like that, carrying that anger with me kept me from feeling the Holy Spirit for a while, a couple of years. I mean, I'm sure I felt it some. And then what happens during that time, when we get so upset and so angry about something and we can't feel the Spirit, we disconnect from God. You just naturally, like, you want to pray less, you want to go to the temple less, you want to read the scriptures less. It was a tough time. 
as you can tell, my views on that haven't changed. I don't think looking back now and learning the history that it was anything other than a mistake, but I'm not angry. I don't let the mistakes of past profits affect my testimony today. So how did you go from a place of anger to a place of, I don't agree with this, but I'm also okay with being a member of this church. How did you separate the two? Yeah. I can disagree and I can still love the gospel and I can still disagree with something that happened in church history. How do you, how did you come to that place? Eventually feeling the Holy Ghost. Actually, I had, a, I had a conversation with my stake president. Long story short, it, I called him because I was bothered by something. But I didn't tell you what it was. The whole community where I live, there's a big shindig that goes down in September called Swiss Shades. And a restaurant just wanted to have alcohol in the backyard. And people lost their minds. It was on their property. And I, I remember that. You do? Okay. So I had friends at the restaurant. And basically, I felt like we were bullying them into not doing it. And those weren't members of our church. And I'm like, I would hate to be in their shoes and feel like I'm the minority in the community that's forcing their values on me. In my mind, serve alcohol. It's your establishment. I don't have to buy it. And we're still friends, right? So I'm friends with stake president. And I have a lot of respect for him after this conversation. I'll even give him a shout out because he's such a great dude. He is the best. He was my stake president too, because we moved from Charleston to Midway. And he is a legend. Love that guy. To that, he helped change my mindset. And I told him, because if something's bothering me, Ashley, you're going to know about it. I'm going to mm -hmm. talk to you. I just don't, yeah. bottling stuff's up, just not me. So I said, what? what's going on? Just so I know. I said, I'm, I feel like we're bullying these people. Like, why do we care? It's their restaurant. They're not forcing anybody. And he said, madam, I was involved in that decision, at least in the sense that I, that I knew about it. And the church is heavily involved in this event. This event doesn't exist without the church. And I said, got it. But why do we care? And he says, we may have made the wrong decision is what I, the gist of what I remember him saying. But he said, hey, this is what stuck with me. He's like, Matt, can you extend some grace to me? And I was like, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yes, I can. And he says, you got to remember, Matt. And then he ended up talking at state conference and talking about he took his friends out to eat and they were like embarrassed to drink wine. The guy's going to be judged. He's like, no, order your wine and I'm buying dinner, including your wine. I don't think less of you because you're drink. You're not a member of my faith. And even if you are, I still wouldn't think less of you. But he asked me to extend him some grace. And I felt really humble because I don't think it's wrong to ask questions. And I, like I said, I will reach out to the state president or whoever, but I don't need to be angry and I don't need to be prideful about it. And it, I'm 100% certain he is a far better stake president than I would be. So I look at these people in the past, these prophets. I don't justify what they did, having racist views. I understand they were common at the time, but also I look at it from, it's like visiting a foreign country. It's a different time. There's no way that the values in society at the time that a prophet lives, there's no way it does not influence things. Right. And I'm like, so before I start thinking President Young was just awful, like maybe show him a little bit of grace. Like maybe don't judge him as harshly because you weren't there. You didn't live in the 1800s. 
that's part of it. And one other thing I want to mention, a lot of criticism that I get for still being a member of the church, uh, in particular from ex-members of the church, is like, you got to do mental gymnastics to overcome things like what I just mentioned. Like, you've got to bend your mind over backwards to try and justify Brigham Young was a prophet. After he did that, like, there's a huge cognitive dissonance. And I say, no, I don't. I don't have to do that at all. You have to. And so this is why I didn't leave. In almost 25 years that I've seen, uh, that I've been in the church, I have seen God intervene in, I can't tell you how many people's lives in how many times. The real mental gymnastics would be for me to say, okay, I've seen things. I've seen priesthood blessings heal people. I've seen God save people's lives, like simple things, like telling somebody, hold off, don't leave yet. And then there's an accident in front of the house, just weird, random stuff that we don't give enough credit to. Mm -hmm. So that means if I'm going to say because Brigham Young or President Nelson or whoever is not a prophet because they did X, Y, and Z, then I need to, to be authentic and to be honest. I need to also be able to say the priesthood does not exist. It's fake. Joseph Smith's a liar. There could not be any miracles going on. God could not be behind this church because God wouldn't. He would not perform miracles for a church led by a false prophet. So my problem was if I wanted to leave, I've seen too much. I chills all over. Yes, I totally know what you're saying. I th I've mentioned this on a previous episode before, but I think, you know, I was just telling you before we hopped on, I was telling you that you know, I get these emails from people and they say like, oh my gosh, like I'm coming back to church because of your podcast and like all this stuff. And, and I think what if the ex-Mormon community, they pulled up something from my history where I was just, I was as bad as bad can be. Like, does that discredit the work that I've put into the podcast because of the things I did in my past that were bad. I think about how we can't discredit the good in something because there was some bad. We can't take away all the good because something's happened in the past. And I love your analogy of the foreign country. It's like, that is so true. It's, it's so spot on. I mean, there was a lot of weird things going on back then. Yeah. Think of this. We're not asked to sustain Jesus Christ as the Savior. You notice that at General Conference? Can you sustain President Nelson? Can you sustain? Why don't we sustain Jesus? He doesn't need it. He's perfect. So when I think of sustaining, we're saying, hey, yeah, you're not perfect. You're making mistakes, but you're the one that God's asked to be in that position. Where my big paradigm shift, and I hope this um, is useful for some people, I mentioned earlier, I had too high of expectations of profits. Now, I don't think you should have too low expectations for profits. I mean, you got to be able to distinguish between a false prophet and a real prophet. Like if you were to draw a line from the floor to the ceiling, and the floor was me and you, and that the ceiling was Jesus, and that line measured our level of righteousness, our level of... Um, Christ-like attributes. So obviously Christ is perfect. A lot of members behave, even in like their testimonies and lessons that I hear at church, it, they make it sound like there's Jesus at the top and right below him is the prophet. This is personal opinion, but I really think I'm right. The prophets are right next to us. 
I, I gave the example of our state president before because I know him. He is a better person for the job than I am. I know that. I'm positive. But he's a lot more like me than he is a perfected, resurrected being. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I don't know that we really always believe that. Mm-hmm. Just by the way, people act the things they say, like even some of the hymns we sing, like if you and I were to bring somebody to church that had never been to our church and and they were like, just say evangelical Christian. And they're like, so do you guys worship Joseph Smith? You and I would both say no. No, we don't. We're not supposed to. I mean, I don't think he's perfect. You don't think he's perfect. But imagine this. We walk in a sacrament meeting. We sing praise to the man. And then we take the kids to the primary and we sing follow the prophet. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm like, ooh. It's funny because I totally understand what you're saying, but I also love praise to the man. Like when I hear that song, I am just like feeling it. It is well, so good. Please, it's a powerful song because it was written after he and his brother, Joseph and his brother were killed. And you mm-hmm. go back in the history of that, like they could have denounced their testimony. They could have mm-hmm. said, all right, gigs up. I lied. I just wanted to practice polygamy or I just wanted to get rich. It didn't work. Joseph said before he died, I'm going like a lamb to the slaughter. The people who murdered him thought that would be the end of the church. You kill the leader, you kill the whole movement. So yes, it is powerful. I love that song. And I'm not saying don't sing it, but I'm just just putting in your head a little bit like Yeah, no I can need- see if, you know, we've got somebody that's coming and they don't they don't know the context. I can see them being like, huh, that's a little you know, yeah. know what you're saying. That's where I think just through that, through the years, I just got this idea in my mind that prophets are puppets. I mean, maybe, maybe they run a stop sign. Maybe they tell their kid to shut up or something tiny, but that for whatever reason, prophets can't make mistakes in their calling. And, and I look back at the scriptures. I'm like, what about Lehi? And first of all, how often did Joseph Smith have face-to-face conversations with God? Rarely, mm-hmm. rarely. Lehi, they're out in the wilderness for eight years, wandering around, trying to figure stuff out. It's not like he had daily instructions. They had to leave a home. But they spent eight years wandering around. You know, I start going back through the scriptures and I realize, like, this was not fair. I have not been fair to these guys. I just assume, contrary to the scriptures, that they are supposed to just be constantly led and do everything exactly like Jesus would do. And that's not Mm -hmm. fair. But on the flip side, I've got a lot of friends who've left the church and they act like the leaders of our church are just complete imbeciles. Mm -hmm. And that is that extreme is totally wrong as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you bump into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hear all kinds of colorful things, but I mean, one thing that I do know is that, I mean, yes, they are closer to us as human beings, as mortals than they are as Jesus Christ. But I do believe that when I listen to President Nelson speak and when I listen to General Conference, it's like, there is a power in that. And I believe that God works through those men. And I think that he works through mortals and he does exercise his power through people on this earth, including prophets and apostles, but they are mortal human beings that do make mistakes and God can work through imperfect people. Amen to that. And I hope I haven't been focused too focused on the negative. When I first joined the church, it was no more than two weeks. I was about to quit. Converts, it's a tough life. To second what you said about God working through them, 
I ended up meeting a general authority and uh, I got invited to a, a zone conference. Um, his name was Lauren C. Dunn. And his testimony, I'm a tough guy to sell. I am in sales. So when I say it affected me, it's not because he was persuasive or articulate. No, he, this dude, if, if you had told me he just stepped out of uh, heaven and he'd just been there five minutes earlier, like I felt something in his presence. And then that was my first, like, I, I actually would say that was a crisis because I was just like, what did I just get myself into? Like this whole new way of life. And I, people reacted even more negatively than I thought they would. I've had the chance to be around a couple of apostles. I've got to meet some of them. There is something very unique. I don't know how better to describe it. It's like he just walked, he just visited heaven, this guy, Elder Dunn, and then he was in there talking with us. And I shook his hand. And I'm like, good grief. Like, why do I feel like I'm burning up inside? And that's how I felt. And at the end of that, I'm like, all right, I don't know who this dude is. I don't know what he's done wrong in his past. I don't care. I just know like the spirit of God is with this guy and I can, I feel it just being next to him. I agree with what you said. No, I, I, yeah. I no, I think it's great that you are able to share, you know, the things that you feel. I, I, I see 100% what you're, what you're saying. And I think that these things that you've mentioned are things that so many people have struggles with, and it's reasons why they choose to leave the church. And I think for, I mean, hearing your story and hearing what you're saying, it sounds like, you know, you went through these things and then having stake president Nelson say, you know, can you extend me some grace? It's almost like a refining moment for your testimony of like, oh, and it's like eye-opening, you know, more than you did before. In the book, Faith is Not Blind, they talk about how we have this kind of just childlike faith where we just believe and we're just so on fire for the gospel and that's great. And then we enter, we encounter challenging questions. We encounter things with church history. We encounter these really tough things and it, it rocks us. It's hard. But then as we work through those things and choose to move forward and choose to continue uh, to see things through a lens of faith and not just turn to like ex-Mormon websites and whatever to find the answers, but to choose to lean into the uncomfortability of like, okay, I this doesn't make sense to me and I don't really agree with it, but I'm going to seek to understand more and see a bigger picture here. And that can actually lead us to a more mature, refined, beautiful testimony where we understand the hard things. And we've had spiritual confirmation that hard things happen and we can, we can move forward from that. It doesn't have to define our entire testimony and we can actually be better because of those hard questions. And that's I what I hear with you. Either would you go back to where everything was simple and perfect? No. I mean, even doing this podcast, I've heard things that I didn't know before. I have one particular experience that I'll share with you really quick. So I was reading the Saints book, and my sister was on or just got home from her mission. I was like newly married. I think we just had our baby. And in the Saints book, 
there was something in there that really rocked me. And it was something about Joseph Smith not telling Emma uh -huh. about oh, him taking another wife. And this is from the Saints book. And right. so I read that and I was like, huh? What? How can I make sense of this in my mind? And my sister just got home from her mission. She's like, you got to pray about it, Ash. And I'm just like, okay, like I will pray about it. I'm in St. George at my parents' house and I'm my dad. He just got called as the bishop. He's a very spiritual guy. It's just awesome. And he, I told him, I'm like, dad, I read this in the saints book. And like, when I read it, I felt like this icky feeling like yeah. icky, just, I can't make sense of this. Like, I just, I can't make sense of it. And he, the dog was barking and my mom was like huffing and puffing about like the kitchen being a mess or whatever. And my dad says, Ashley, there is commotion going on right now because Satan does not want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. He pulled out a journal from my like great, great, great grandmother. And in the journal, she talks about how it was such a trial of her faith to participate in polygamy. Like it was so hard for her. And then when they had the manifesto and took it away, she was just like, what? You told us that we had to do this. And now you're saying that we don't. And in her journal, she said, they told us it was the crowning jewel. And now they're telling us we don't have to do it. And she was so mad. And she went to her tent and she was just so upset. And then she said, when she was in her tent, she felt this comfort come over her that it was like nothing in the world could ever be bad again or nothing could ever go wrong again. And her husband came and she told him what happened and that feeling she had. And he said, I prayed to God to send you a comforter. So my dad shared this and he's saying, you didn't even have to participate in polygamy. Like, here's the story from your great, great, great grandma who participated and all of a sudden it wasn't even anything that my dad like said that like but all of a sudden I saw that Joseph Smith situation with a whole new pair of eyes I was thinking to myself I have no idea the context like to me that sounds so creepy like I just cannot but I'm thinking what if he didn't tell Emma because he felt commanded by God to do this but he didn't want to hurt her or what if he didn't tell Emma because of this, this, and this, like all these different scenarios playing out in my mind. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't have the context. I can't be here judging him for what he did. I am here in the year 2023 and I'm looking at this situation and I'm thinking, you know, ew, weird, but like, I just don't know. It is not my place to judge. I have no context. And so that experience for me was so eye-opening. I was just like, holy crap. Like this whole polygamy thing creeped me out for a while. Super creepy to me. And then I saw that if I would have let that consume me, like, why did he do that? Why did that happen? If I would have let that take me down that path, it could have taken me a really dark place. But the spiritual confirmation and the personal revelation that I received regarding polygamy and my own ancestors, it turned into a absolute building block for my testimony.
Like this hard question could have destroyed my testimony, but it didn't. It completely helped me understand something hard. That was a lot, but that was awesome though. And we don't know what if what if Joseph Smith regrets not being as forthcoming? Like, can we extend Yes. We don't know that he doesn't. Like, you know, like right. can we extend him grace? I can empathize him a little bit. I'm scared of my wife. Like I would be scared <laughs> if I was in his shoes. Let's pretend for a second that he was asked to to practice polygamy. Emma was a mm-hmm. strong personality. I get why he'd be scared. I'd be petrified. Yep. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying he handled it right. He didn't. I don't think he did. Right. But, but let's extend him some grace. Because yeah. we don't know. We right. can't understand what he was going through. We just don't know. What matters to me is whether or not they were a prophet. Not always how they acted. And people get mm-hmm. really caught up on that. And they think the two should always match up. And that's just not, that's not a fair expectation. Right. So, I love that. Okay. So now you go through this whole thing since then. Tell us what your spiritual journey has been like since then. You go through this hard thing. Tell us about from then till now. First of all, I would never undo what I know. I I would never want to not know what I know. Authenticity is very, very important to me. So now when I share my testimony with people, I try to be realistic. At the same time, I'll say, I believe 100% that when Joseph Smith went into the Grove of Trees, that he actually saw two people. I don't believe that's a myth. I don't believe that's folklore. I don't believe it's Santa Claus. No, that actually happened. I also believe Joseph Smith was a lot like me. Better, but a lot like me and a lot like you. I would never want to go back. I want to go on another mission when I'm older. I will explain things a little differently. I will empathize with people more probably who have issues with church history, but the truth claims nothing's changed. One of the truth claims, and I'm just going to go off on a tangent, is, you know, go from three witnesses. I find it very interesting, and I think it more credible that they left the church and most of the eight witnesses. I've been in Utah a while. We're about to move. I don't know if you've ever been sucked in there like a business idea or whatever and you get in and you find out it's a total sham and you've talked to people about it and you feel like a complete fool you want to undo everything that you've done and get people out and lead people away that is exactly what the three witnesses should have done if they didn't have these heavenly experiences with angels and Especially, you know, the priesthood being restored by John the Baptist, Peter, James, and John. I just think it's incredible that they didn't recount their testimony, especially Mm -hmm. since they had beef with Joseph and beef with Brigham Young, and they quit going to church, and decades pass, and Martin Harris eventually comes back. But, I mean, on his deathbed, right before he's about to meet Jesus, or go to the spirit world technically, but, oh yeah, by the way, what I said happened about the Book of Mormon, it actually happened. Like, I did see the plates. I did see an angel. Okay, ready to die. That's the time where you come clean. And then the other thing, to go into it, I had heard that I had pioneer ancestry, which made no sense because I was, the first time I ever remember hearing the word Mormon, I was just landed at the Salt Lake City Airport with my grandfather, and we're going to go on a rafting trip. And he said, yeah, this is this town's run by the Mormons. And I'm like, who are the Mormons? And he's like, oh, I had some work for me like 30 years ago. They were family people. Weird. But, you know, they were family people. I, he's just like, I don't know. God, he didn't have any beef with them. But I'm like, that's interesting. So then I dig in 
And I find out that I had a grandfather and grandmother that were baptized and went through the temple in Nauvoo. And I'm like, well, that's cool. Wait a minute. No, it's not. What happened? What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like, I'm not sealed to my parents. Like, I went through all this crap when I joined the church. Everybody hated me and thought I was dumb. What? what? This doesn't make sense. And so I go back and find out, like, they went through a faith struggle. Like, I don't know exactly what happened. I know that they eventually tried out different faiths, but I don't know that they really understood how huge of a decision that was. Because that's five generations ago. It was my grandfather and then his father, his name, I wrote his name down, Pleasant Walter Ewell or Ewell. I don't know how to say it. He died in Lehigh. So I probably mm -hmm. got like Latter-day Saint cousins that are distant. But, I, you know, I started thinking about that and I started thinking like, what if I would have quit? What if I would have gotten so angry because I was angry and bitter that to use your words to what if I just let it totally consume me? Could I have still gone to heaven? Maybe. I don't know. What would have happened to my posterity? And see, that's where things I know. I know the answer to that question because I know what happened to me. I am a product of somebody who quit. When I first found this out for a long time, I was angry. It's been good having some friends leave the church because I'm like, hey, they're good people. Some of them have had terrible experiences. I don't know what happened to my grandpa and grandma. I just know that it didn't help me. And it didn't help my family. So I'm really thankful that I uh, didn't just throw in the towel. Because logically, it wouldn't have made sense, even though people say I'm the one having to do mental gymnastics and I've got cognitive dissonance. No, it's, it's not. I've seen too much. In order to walk away with authenticity and with integrity, I would have to say God doesn't communicate with people. That's one of the first things which I believe that is a that is a sense. Being able to feel and recognize the Holy Spirit, people criticize all the time. You can't trust your feelings. Yeah, that's different. Dude, there's a difference yep. between I'm hungry, between I see a pretty girl versus, geez, I hope this church isn't true, God. I don't want to be part of this weird religion, but if you say it is, I'll join it. There's a difference. And yep. for those who are able to feel and recognize the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm talking about. If mm -hmm. you don't, you think I'm nuts, you think I'm dumb. It's just my feelings and I just run around, chase my heart. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so I, I've really focused a lot on making sure that everything that I do matches up with, with my values. I want to make sure that I am consistently choosing to think long-term. And I mean long-term like a thousand years. Mm -hmm. 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. I had a good friend actually Sunday. His, uh, his Mr. Joe, he owns Joe's Cafe down in Orm. He's a celebrity. He's a legend. He's, he's a, a black, black guy. He's 71. It was his birthday on Sunday. And he's Baptist. He's six months sober. So I, you know what? We didn't come on to talk about Mr. Joe, but you got to meet him, Ashley. Okay. He's they, six he months all sober. My list of people to he's, meet. he's exactly what Utah needs because he has a lot of personality a lot of life and he is inspiring. And I was talking to him and I said, you go to church today? No, I couldn't, man. What happened? Cause I'm hurt. I'm hurt. And he says, I'm just grateful, Matt. He says, man, I'm grateful to be alive. You know what? I said, what? He said, I'm going to be dead a lot longer than I'm going to be alive. And I was like, yeah, I know that, but it just stuck with me. And I said, Mr. I really appreciate you sharing that with me. And I said, I know that. 
but I'm not thinking about it. So I'm trying to make an effort. Like, I don't know if I'll go through another issue where I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I might call state president again. I might, I don't know, but I have to remember, like, it's not just for my soul, but my kids and Mm -hmm. their kids. Like, I want to make decisions. If I failed everything else, I got to make decisions that are good for the long term, for Mm -hmm. 10,000 years from now. Yep. Leaving the church would have been terrible. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. Think celestial. Think celestial. Yes. (laughs) Great talk. This is a great talk. I love it. Well, Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Just so real, so authentic. You are awesome. And thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anything else you want to leave leave listeners with before we wrap up? I want friends, family, everybody who thinks I'm nuts for joining the church. I am crazy, but I'm not crazy because I joined the church. It's one of the few good decisions that I've made in my life. I have, I shared on this podcast as open and honestly as I could, some of my frustrations. And I didn't share them all, but I shared a couple of the big ones. I have investigated everything I can find that's negative about the church. I've read every negative church history publication that's noteworthy. I've listened to people share their stories about why they quit and da 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 for the only reason that I'm here is because it's true. And the reason I know it's true is because of the experiences that I've had. So I hope that if somebody's on the verge thinking about coming back, man, just do it. Your life will be better. Your posterity will thank you that you made it through the hard times. Like I I really believe in the the truth claims. Like I believe in modern day revelation through imperfect men. I believe Joseph Smith told the truth with his visions. I believe that the Book of Mormon is actually ancient scripture that's translated. And I've looked at it and considered every angle possible um, to that. So yeah, I want you guys to know that. Like I'm happy to be here. I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm still a member, still going to church. I love it. That is so beautiful. Perfect way to wrap up. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, Miss Ashley. You have a great day. You too. Hey, guys. First off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, There's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.